the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy is to engage. He's to engage in this great and glorious struggle to set things right, to make certain that people aren't making up stories. Timothy was to chart a course for this church, even if the church didn't want to chart that course. And that is no small feat. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Oh, nothing is impossible Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby. Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. We are in our series, Church Matters. Church Matters matter to God, and so they should matter to us. And we are trying to understand God's blueprint for ministry as it is laid out for us in the pastoral epistles. Paul wants Timothy to stop people from teaching just any old doctrine. He wants to see people who get into vain imaginations and endless myths and genealogies and speculations silenced for the good of the church, for the glory of God and the gospel. Which brings us to Dick Thompson. Who is Dick Thompson? Well, he looks like a grandfatherly figure. He is close to 79 years of age. He's the CEO of of High Performance Systems. He holds a PhD, an earned PhD in psychology, And he is probably both a practical and an academic expert on stress. You might say he wrote the book on stress. In fact, he has a book out now called Stress, The Stress Effect. And I heard him speak uh, in a podcast for about three hours and was just held spellbound by a number of things. He's a man of great determination. He's a man who wants to do things right the first time. And he's a man of the highest integrity. And he's the kind of guy we could use in churches today. Regretfully, from what I can, I can't find any record or indication that Dick Thompson is a Christian. 
He has led an incredible life. He has probably lived 10 lifetimes in his lifetime. He has had multiple careers, some of which don't even seem related to one another. And oddly enough, when I was at the University of Georgia, he was a department chair there, and I don't recall ever meeting him or seeing him, but listening to him speak and realizing who he is and what he's accomplished, I thought he would be a good example for us today because he sees life often as a struggle, and ministry is a struggle. And he commits himself to whatever struggle, whatever endeavor he undertakes, and Throughout his career, whether it was in public service, whether it was in the educational arena or now in private industry, in the private sector, people always note that they've never met anyone quite like him because he is a man who holds on to his marching orders, his goals, tightly, and he's a man whose integrity will not let him compromise for the sake of convenience or anything else which is what Paul is calling Timothy to be in our passage today in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses uh, uh, 18 through 20. Paul is calling Timothy to struggle in the ministry. Paul is calling Timothy to fight the good fight, to wage the good warfare, to hang on to his faith firmly, what he knows is true, and to do so with integrity. And in this charge that he gives him in this exhortation is an exhortation that is for us here and now today in the 21st century church where we're tempted to sort of just back off a little bit or to make peace for the sake of convenience. Paul writes this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you wage the good warfare, some translations say fight the good fight, holding faith, that's holding to the faith, the Christian faith, and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they might learn not to blaspheme. What is going on here? This, Paul begins this epistle, this this epistle on church matters, by telling Timothy to come in now that he's kind of straightened things out a little bit and finish the job. And he is to start by correcting the doctrine of the church. He tells Timothy to instruct certain persons not to teach any other kind of doctrine, not to get hung up with myths or fanciful stories about genealogies or to create more questions than they answer, endless speculations. And he's telling them that the, their motive, the reason for what they do, is, is, is born out of love and a sincere faith and a clear conscience. And he exhorts Timothy to follow that, that direction, to, to, to let that be his motive. Because you see, The church at Ephesus was a mess. Paul had come in and founded the church and taught there for three years, and then he left, and now they're back eight years later, and things have kind of gone off the rails. And so Paul gives this long exhortation in chapter one to Timothy about doctrine, and he caps it off with our passage today. Paul has come and gone, and he's leaving Timothy to straighten things out, to do a reset, and It's not an easy task because 
old habits die hard and, and the church at Ephesus had become kind of accustomed to doing things their own way. They're sort of like Israel in the time of the judges. Everybody's doing what's right in their own sight and there is no real leadership. And so everybody's sort of playing by their own rules and Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to come in here and you've got to fight the good fight. I'm entrusting this charge, this responsibility to you. You've got to come in here and, and do this reset and set things straight starting with doctrine. And then he says that whole statement about waging the good warfare. Why is that? Because this is going to be a struggle. This is going to be a war. Because he's going to go through, now that he's straightening out the doctrine, he's going to go through and straighten out their practice. Because once you get doctrine down, you can turn your attention to practice. And so he's going to do a reset in every area of the church at Ephesus. And, and he tells him this. He, he rolls out this blueprint for this reset. And in chapter 2, Timothy's going to have to do a reset on worship, how they worship, how different people, men and women, are to conduct themselves in worship, in, in the church, in the church service. And in chapter 3, there's going to be a reset on leadership. Timothy's going to probably have to remove some leaders and Paul has given him new standards for leadership that people are going to have to meet or they cannot be in leadership. And in chapter four, Paul is going to do a reset with the teachers. There are some false teachers there teaching out of ignorance or arrogance and there are some good teachers there. Some are gonna have to go, some can stay in those teaching roles. And then in chapter five, there's a reset on the handling of elders. He's going to tell Timothy how to remove an elder. He's going to talk about how elders should be treated. He's even going to reset their benevolence policy using widows as an example. There's not one part of the fabric of that church that Timothy isn't going to go in and do a reset on. In chapter 6, there's a reset on the way different types of people groups conduct themselves inside the church and outside the church. He talks to Christian employees or slaves of and how they're to relate to their masters. He, he talks to Timothy about how he's to relate to people as the man of God. He, he talks to people of wealth and influence about how they're supposed to live and how they're supposed to put their, their assets, if you will, to work for the glory of God and the good of others and their own growth. And this would be no small task because Timothy is going to come in there relatively unknown to them into a church in Ephesus, one of the one of the most prominent cities in the Roman Empire, and he's going to confront prominent people with the need to correct their practices, with the need to reset their theology. What you have here is basically a church turnaround, and this one man is tasked with this battle, with this, with this struggle, with waging this good warfare for their sakes and for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom. And so he begins with this series of uh, statements. And I just want to, what I want to do right now is sort of just walk us through the passage phrase by phrase. Let's start at the beginning. This charge I entrust to you. What you learn from this is that Paul has confidence in Timothy. And he, this word charge here is a military term that has to do with this objective, these marching orders, these, these commands I entrust to you. And you're going to see that term show up again and again, the word charge. In 1 Timothy 6, 13 and 14, he says, I charge you in the presence of God to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Timothy is to strive to keep 
the doctrine pure at Ephesus. He's, and his, he's, he's to make every effort to keep things on track. Even at the, uh, later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul again mention, mentions the word charge. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. He's talking to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season when people want to hear and when they don't want to hear. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, with endurance. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Some of that had gone on already. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy is to engage. He's to engage in this great and glorious struggle to set things aright, to make certain that people aren't making up stories. Timothy was to, was, to, was to chart a course for this church even if the church didn't want to chart that course. And that is no small feat. And you, you see this reference in this next phrase, Timothy, my child. This gives us insight into who Timothy is. What do we know about Timothy? Timothy was one of Paul's troubleshooters. Timothy was in Ephesus, Titus was in Crete. He was a 30-something guy, single, and here he is alone in this established church. But Paul would say of Timothy in the book of Philippians that he has no one like Timothy. Timothy was given the most difficult task and he carried them out faithfully. Paul sent him to Corinth, he sent him to, to Thessalonica, he sent him all over Paul was confident in Timothy's ability and his integrity and his calling. And yet Timothy, we find in 1 Corinthians, was timid. Paul tells the church at Corinth to put Timothy at ease when he gets there. In 2 in second Timothy, we read about Timothy's tears. So he wasn't a superman. He was just flesh and blood, but he was called by God to fulfill a particular purpose. How do we know that? Look at the next phrase in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Big task, big calling. Timothy had a call on his life, a call from God. He was raised up for such a time as that. He was called for, to ta- tackle such tasks as these. And it apparently was revealed in a prophetic word at his ordination when they laid hands on him. Someone prophesied that this would be Timothy's direction. This would be Timothy's gift set. This is what Timothy would do. How do we know that? Well, Paul says so later on in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4.14, we read this. He's speaking to Timothy. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given by prophecy when, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy had a call on his life. And so this task that he would be given, God would see that he was up to it. And that, this, that he would be able to wage the good warfare because of these prophecies. In fact, the next phrase says so. That by them, that by these prophecies, you may wage the good warfare. You may fight the good fight. See, Timothy did not enlist. He was drafted. Drafted like you and I into the kingdom of God. 
raised up for such a time as this, once dead in our sins and trespasses, now made alive and useful in Christ. And so Timothy was to engage and go to war for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God's church, for the sake of God's people. And this whole fight the good fight theme is going to show up throughout these pastoral epistles. In fact, you'll find it at the end in 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life which, to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul's gonna keep reminding him, fight the good fight. This charge I entrust to you. Be faithful, Timothy. In fact, Paul's self-epitaph is found in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and it says this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, kept the Christian faith. I have been faithful. This is what Timothy is called to do. This is what he's called to do. And how is he gonna do that exactly? Well, that's the next phrase. Holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. Timothy, as Jesus said to the woman at the wall, is to worship God in spirit and in truth, in sincerity and with precision accuracy he is to teach accurately worship is the mandate everything he says thinks and does is to be an example to these people of how you hang on to the christian faith how you remain faithful to the teaching this is how timothy is going to serve god unswervingly and he's going to do that because of a great grasp of the truth and a commitment to the christian faith Just like Timothy, you and I are to be faithful to God's plan, his blueprint here in the text that we find for church matters. If we get our understanding of the faith down, if we understand what God wants us to do, then we can put that into practice in worship, in leadership, in how we handle every aspect and affair in church life. By holding faith and a good conscience, the faith is the Christian faith that we cling to like a life preserver. It includes the gospel, but it includes many other things as well. And a good conscience, which speaks to someone who does what they do with integrity, who doesn't take shortcuts, who doesn't turn a blind eye, but who stays the course in the ministry that God has given them. And what happens if you don't? That's the next phrase. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Some have made shipwreck. Rejecting there is the same word that's used in John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not believe in the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The rejecting is the repudiation. He who believes in the Son has life. He who rejects the Son, he who ignores the Son, he who pushes the Son away will not see life. By rejecting this call, to hold on to the faith with a clear conscience, some have made shipwreck of their lives. And this shipwreck analogy here, this word picture, in that era was one of the most traumatic losses of life that could take place. You know, today we say, oh, that's a real train wreck, or that's a plane crash. But in those days, they didn't have trains, they didn't have planes. And a shipwreck was considered a great disaster, a, a, a tremendous loss of life in an unforgiving ocean whose depths were unfathomable. And so there is a cost associated with not holding on to the faith and not having a clear conscience that is committed to doing what the faith calls us to do. And it's the shipwreck that occurs. Now there's hope because in the next 
a few, uh, few phrases. He says this, Among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may, not, they may learn not to blaspheme. So basically, Paul has expelled these two men from the church because they've made shipwreck of their faith. They have made a conscious decision to ignore what they knew was true and sort of do their own thing. And Paul has expelled them as an apostle. He has stepped in and pushed them out of the church. Turning them over to Satan, that's a euphemism for church discipline. You find it in 1 Corinthians as well. But there's a purpose for that, and it's not to be punitive. It's not to be mean. It's that they can learn not to blaspheme. It's a corrective effort. It's also a lesson to the church. These two leaders, maybe elders, prominent teachers, had sort of gained their own following and were leading people astray, swerving from the truth. And Paul was having none of it. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't make that mistake because you'll shipwreck your faith, you'll shipwreck your ministry. So you have to fight the good fight. You have to wage the good warfare. To fight the good fight of faith, we must not weary of well-doing. We must not compromise our integrity. We must hang on to the faith. We must do so with integrity, with determination. And that requires two ingredients, frankly. And ingredient number one is this. First and foremost, we must possess a firm grasp on the faith. A firm grasp of the faith. We can't worship what we don't know. We have to worship what we know is true, what is found in God's word. We don't want to be like the Samaritan woman. We want to be like Timothy, like Paul. And so we see in verses 18 and 19 this warning. This charge, this responsibility, these marching orders I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. How? Holding the faith. I don't want to get too far into the Greek grammar and the, and the terminology here, but it speaks to holding the faith. There's not a definite article there, but what it's saying is, It's hanging on to the faith. It's not like he's going to lose his belief. It's like he's going to lose credibility as a teacher of the faith because he plays fast and loose with the text. He can't do that. He has to hold on to it. He has to grasp it firmly. And then because if he doesn't, if he doesn't hold on to the tenets of a faith with a clear conscience, People's faith is going to be made shipwrecked. People are going to swerve from the truth. That's why Paul opened the epistle saying, charge certain persons not to teach any other doctrine. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4. Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. There's this commitment. There are these marching orders. This theme is going to show up again and again. It's a picture of struggle. He is to execute these orders faithfully. And what? And, and, and that's a struggle that we find today in the church. We live in an era of what I call doctrinal minimalism. Minim, minimalism excuse me, doctrin, doctrinal minimalism. What does that mean? It's where people overstate the unimportance of a doctrine. You'll hear people say things like, all I care about is the gospel. All I care about is the gospel. I'm not going to get hung up on these lesser doctrines. You know, we talk about in our own church about 
majoring on the majors and monitoring on the minors. But one of the things that happens today is people tend to create a false dichotomy between what is essential for salvation and what is important still or unimportant. And so Paul is saying, hang on to it all. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then... I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening. Amen.